Hi, this is Scott Silkey. I'm the worship arts director here at New Life Church. We're excited that you are joining us today. I pray that today's message will encourage and inspire you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around you. The greatest month of generosity ever. That's a big statement right there. Greatest month of generosity ever. And you who are here for the first time, you're like, I knew it. He's going to talk about money. I knew it. That's what pastors do. They talk about money. Actually, no. We're going to talk about generosity. And we're going to learn today that generosity and money sometimes overlap, but mostly do not. Okay? So today, I want to get into this series. And the big idea of this series is this is a month-long series that examines the biblical understanding of generosity. By looking at the character of God, the story of the Good Samaritan, the widow's offering, and Paul's encouragement to give generously, we will see that God wants us to be generous in all areas of our life. What we're going to learn today, just a hint, is generosity is more about the nature we have than anything else. The big idea for this message is this. Generosity is a virtue that comes from the character of God and consists of giving to others without getting anything in return. Are you a generous person? Think about that for a second. Just, just think about it. Are you a generous person? Now, the answer that comes to your mind right away might be, yes, I'm a generous person. By the end of today's message, you may be like, oh, man, maybe I'm not. I hate to, hate to do that to you, but you may say, I don't really feel like a generous person. By the end of this message, you may realize that you're more generous than you thought you were. Because we're going to redefine what generosity is. We want to understand what generosity is. Okay? So what qualifies someone to be a person who's generous, a generous person? Is it a billionaire philanthropist who gives millions to charity? Maybe. Unless it's just for a tax write-off. Do you see the difference? Or someone contributing time to working in a soup kitchen? Maybe. Or maybe they're doing it for the pat on the back. Let me ask you another question. Why be generous? Just, just think about it for Why is generosity a virtue? I mean, you got what you got because you went out and you got it. Right? Why should I give what I got to someone who didn't earn what I did to get what I got? My kids and I have been reading a lot of Dr. Seuss, okay? Just relax. So, do you see what I'm saying? What, what, why is generosity a virtue? Why is this something that is, is good? One article says this, generosity makes our world a better place. It improves the life of the receiver, and it improves the life of the giver. Yet, despite the benefits, generosity is still too rare in our world today. To understand why we should be generous, we must first understand what generosity 
is. The word generosity comes from the Latin word generosus, which means, and I was like, really? Generosus means of noble birth. But then I started thinking about it. What is nobility? You don't earn nobility. Nobility is given to you because of who your parents are. Nobles. You did nothing to deserve it. You did nothing to earn it. It was just handed down because of who you are connected to. And then I started thinking, wow. If generosity is giving to somebody what they don't deserve, what they didn't pay for, what they didn't earn, then it kind of makes a connection. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, the science of generosity project, this is the thing, narrows down what generosity is. The virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. That's a pretty good definition. The, I mean, it, it better be because there's a whole thing called the science of generosity project. I kind of feel like that's their only job is to figure out what generosity is. It's in their name, right? So the, it's a pretty good definition. We'll read it again. The virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. But that doesn't answer the question, why? Why is it a virtue? When defining generosity, we have to look at God and his character. Throughout Scripture, we see that God gives generously, which ultimately expressed, is ultimately expressed in the gifts of salvation through Jesus. I mean, that is the ultimate, ultimate gift of generosity. I mean, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Greater love has no man than this, right? Than to lay down his life for his friend. There's no, there's no greater act of generosity. Jill Foley-Turner, managing editor of National Christian Foundation, the NCF, had a great bit of article in 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 an online blog, and I want to read part of it to you because it just really says a lot. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that's the beginning of Genesis, but she takes that away. Then she says this, but not just for himself. God entrusted his glorious creation to the care of the human beings he had created in his image and for his glory. We know that the whole of creation declares the glory of God. That's found in Psalms 19.1. But it also demonstrates his generosity. Our perfect creator perfectly crafted a world which sustains our human lives. Lives which themselves came into being by his breath. But God did not stop at life and breath and sustainability. Beyond our survival, the Bible says he considers our delight. He made seas and mountains and rivers. How many of you are ready? There's going to be a question. We asked this in our life group the other day. Mountain people or beach people? Ready? Mountain people, raise your hand. Beach people, raise your hand. Oh, you're all heretics. It's all about the mountains. No, I'm just kidding. 
it, it's funny, but it's what, you, it's, it's what you delight in. God made both of them. He made these things. Listen to this. He made seas and mountains and rivers. He made 750,000 species of insects. How many people like insects? Some, yeah. My, my daughter the other day, she's like, Dad, I've changed my favorite animal. That's a big deal. Big deal. When your kid has a favorite animal. I've changed my favorite. I'm like, wow, honey, what is it? I'm thinking like, because we have this like runaway bunny in our backyard. It's definitely not like a wild bunny. The guys saw it the other night when they were over at the house for the barbecue. Uh, it's this white, bright white bunny. It's like, that's, a, that's an escapee. There's, nothing, there's no way that thing's living in the wild. The hawks are like, oh, yay. Um, so I'm thinking, it's probably a bunny. She goes, Dad, my new favorite animal is a tarantula. I'm like, you're not my daughter. What in the world? Sick. But apparently she likes the 750,000 species of insect. 400,000 species of flower. How many people like flowers? 200,000 species of edible plants. I better love that. 10,000 species of birds and stars, too numerous to count. Every good thing a person. Now, every good thing a person. Let me, let me just qualify that. Every good thing a person, Christian or non-Christian, enjoys in life is a gift from God. He created our universe with perfect elegance and complexity. He designed with extravagant creativity. Then he gave us senses of sight, sound, touch, and taste and smell so he could experience the richness of these gifts. Take a rose and remove the sense of smell and you're only getting half a picture. Same with a skunk. <laughs> Two things I can't smell. Isn't that weird? I can't smell roses or skunks. That is weird. I drove right over one. I didn't hit it, but I drove right over one the other day. Not a rose, a skunk. And the kids are like, oh, man. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Can't smell it. But think about it. The, the senses that we are given, they, they work in tandem. Ever guys ever take a petal off of a rose and just silk it? Oh, man. God gave us those senses to enjoy the riches of his gifts, to provide for our needs. It's also never-ending source of our pleasure forever. Psalm 1611. Now, here we go. go. Keep going. Ready? When he created a perfect human habitat, he called his people to work in it, interact with it, and enjoy it. Remember, work was... Not labor until after the fall. Then he gave people, listen to this, then he gave people to each other. He gave people to each other. The Bible says God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. So he made them two. Then God gave them the best gift of creation. His own presence. The Bible says that Adam and Eve knew him so well that they recognized the sound of his feet when he walked in the garden. That's pretty. That's a pretty close. I, I don't know if I told you this before, but I can tell who comes in this door. 
from my office over here, I can tell, by their gait. I'm almost, almost, I would say 95% of the time I know whether it's Scott or Michael or John. I can tell just by the way they walk into the room. Because we know each other. We've heard each other walk in the room before. Right? That's how intimate they're more so. More, they, they knew the sound of his walk. They were like, that's not an antelope. Remember, Adam just ain't named him, right? That's not a platypus. What's with the platypus? Is it like God's spare parts? Like, he's like, I don't know, let's put a beaver tail on this thing and a duck bill. And we'll call it a platypus. But he knew. He could differentiate because they knew him so well. When you pause long enough to really think about it, the goodness of God's giving in creation alone is absolutely overwhelming. Um, Carol and Gary, Gary just went to the Grand Canyon. Right, guys? Went to the Grand Canyon. I, I want to I I try to explain to you what the Grand Canyon is. The Grand Canyon is a huge hole in the ground. That's all it is. But we were talking about it the other day. There's really, it's got the perfect name. It's a canyon, and it's grand. It's, I mean, when they saw it the first time, I'm like, Grand Canyon. Because it is, for some reason, this hole in the ground is so vast, so beautiful, that it literally moved. When my wife and I went there, our, Lincoln was a year old. He was in his little front pack, you know, like your kid is. And, uh, and we're looking at, and literally, the... The splendor of this hole in the ground brought emotions to me. I was like, wow. You know what the Grand Canyon is? It's God's drainage ditch. That's what it, I'm, I'm not joking. That's what it is. It's God's, the beauty of the Grand Canyon is what God can do with his drainage ditches. I'm telling you, folks. The splendor of creation shows the generosity of God. He's so much bigger than we give him credit for. We don't often hear about generosity when we study the attributes of God, but we do hear about his loving kindness and his goodness. Take a mental note of this. His generosity is just the overflow of this love and goodness motivating him to give. His generosity flows from his loving kindness and his goodness. Not only are we aware that God has been and is generous, but we also know that we can, do, we can, we can count on him to continue in this way. Life and beauty and the capacity to give us, he gave us to enjoy them, all this God still gives and sustains. Our ability to enjoy the goodness of God, the generosity of God, didn't end with the fall. It continues. So with each of his attributes, what God is, he's always and completely giving them. He can't change. Therefore, what he gave in the beginning, he gives to us freely now. The only thing that changed was our position towards him. God's generosity is enduring. I want to restate this again. Listen to this. His generosity, the generosity of God 
is the overflow of this love and goodness motivating him to give. And I want you to really focus on that concept. Generosity is the overflow of who he is. Think about that because it's going to make a difference as how we define what generosity is for us. Okay? 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Do you see the comparison? Because God's loving kindness is seen in generosity. Our, the overflow of our heart should be like his. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? See how generosity is limited by our What's inside of us? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We can know how to live generously because we can look at the actions of Christ. We can look at the nature of God, and we can look at the actions of Christ. He was generous to the extreme. So we should be generous to the extreme. Luke 6.45 says this, A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. Did you see that word again? Overflow. What is in us will flow from us. Garbage in, garbage out. The Bible has a few different words and concepts to imply generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 11-13 says this, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity. Why are you enriched? Why are you enriched? We're going to get into this later on in the series, but why are you enriched? For generosity's sake which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. When we are generous, when we overflow from the goodness of what we've been given, it not only helps the person, but it causes people to praise God. It draws people to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will, be glori- they will glorify God for your obedience, confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. The Greek word for generosity in this passage is hepalotes. Like, it, obviously. And it means, what does it mean? It means giving things in a manner that shows liberality. It's not just giving, you know, uh, it's like going the extra mile with, 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 with giving. It's, it's liberal. It's not just providing what somebody needs. Remember what Jesus said? If your neighbor has to, don't just give him your, give him your cloak also. Right? Go the extra mile. If, if somebody compels you to carry his stuff for a mile. Your enemy compels you to carry something for a mile. Carry it too. 
That's generosity. That is giving in a manner that is, shows liberality. Psalms 112, 4 through 5 says this, Light shines in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. Good will come to the one who lends generously and conducts his business, business fairly. In this passage, the Hebrew word for generosity is hanan. Hanan. H-A-N-A-N. Hanan. And it implies ideas of mercy, kindness, and generosity. This reference shows that generosity tied, is tied to justice and how others are treated. Somebody rubs you the wrong way, you don't treat them how you feel. You treat them generously. You deny yourself to give to them something that maybe they don't deserve. So it could be financial, it could be time, but it also could be just our reactions to people. It can be generous. I found this on the web. Did you know? <laughs> my digital overlords interrupting my sermon. Have you ever heard the statement? <laughs> Not you, Siri. Have you ever heard the statement? He got what he deserved. Ever heard that? Let me, take, let me just put it this way, ready? Jesus got what you deserve. Jesus got what you deserve. Jesus got what you deserve. That's generosity. And that's how we should treat other people. We don't, we don't, we don't look at them and say, well, they got what they deserve. I gave them what they deserve. We, know, we don't do that. We give them what they don't deserve, maybe. Kristen Weatherell, contributor to the Gospel Coalition uh, publication, said this. Generosity is the overflow of a humble heart, an attitude, not a one-size-fits-all act. If it were only about giving large amounts of money, many of us would be disqualified from exercising generosity. Anybody say amen to that? But since God has called all his people to generosity... There's more to it than meets the eye. Generosity is not a thing that we do. It's an overflow of who we are. It's an overflow. So remember what I said at the beginning? At this point, you might say, well, I thought I was generous, but maybe I'm not. But then others might say, well, I, thought, I thought I wasn't generous because I can't give a lot of money, but maybe I am. Yeah. It's true. It's not a thing that we do. It's the overflow of who we are. If we look at the nature of God and the life of Christ, we get a very clear picture of the nature of generosity. God in his creation gave generously to all, even to those who would never acknowledge him as God or thank him or worship him. Think about that. He gave this existence the image of God implanted on us, the people who will never call him God, who will never be thankful, who will never spend a moment in a church worshiping him in song. Right? Even though scripture says that the heavens declare the glory of God, 
the splendor of the heavens doesn't cause everyone to acknowledge God. If the scriptures also say that he sends the rain on the just and the unjust, we have to understand that God is generous, irrespective of our response. I hope, I hope that the generosity of God that we talk about today will just lift your heart to say, thank you, God. Help me to be more like that. Let me be more like Jesus. But not everybody's going to do that. With God, we see that generosity is not transactional. Now, this is a huge point in this particular message. With God, generosity is not transactional. He does not give out of the motive of getting something from us. Why? He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need us. He loves us. There's a difference. It's not transactional. So he wants us to worship him because he knows it's the best thing for us. He gives his glorious world to everyone regardless of their thankfulness. That's one of the fundamental differences between the one true God, Yahweh, and the other little g gods. Think about it for a second. It's a huge difference, the transactional nature of generosity. The worship of false gods is completely selfish and transactional. Whether it's back in the day of the Baals and the Asherah poles, or it's our modern-day gods of pleasure and all these things that we, we, we put over God, it's always transactional. If you want rain, you worship the rain god in a certain way, right? If you wanted rain, you'd worship the rain god. If you wanted fertility, you'd worship the fertility god in a certain way. If you didn't get the things that you wanted, it was because God was angry with you or you didn't worship him correctly. So try again. Ah, that last human sacrifice wasn't quite good enough. Round him up. We need some rain, right? It's transactional. They're only worshiping the God because of what that God will bring to them. Otherwise, they could care less. It's all transactional. It's all about who? My, me. My needs. Think about Jesus' ministry. So often, he would do works of kindness and generosity to heal people, and he would say, don't tell anybody. Don't, please, don't tell anybody. I did this not for the fame. I did it for you. Don't tell anybody. And what did they inevitably always do? They went and told everybody. Why? Why did they do that? Because acts of generosity, true generosity, inspire praise toward God. They do. That's what they're for. That's what true generosity does. It points people to the source of your own joy, God, instead of making it into a transaction that benefits you. Matthew 6, 2 through 3, Jesus says this, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your giving may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't have to worry about it. 
That's what true generosity is. Not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, in studying for this, for this sermon series, I've been watching myself. And I've been analyzing my own acts of generosity. So the other day, I did something nice for somebody. And I realized in myself, because of the context of this series, I realized that immediately I wanted to tell Lisa. And I started thinking, why? Why do I need Lisa to know about it? So she can go, oh, a boy. Right? I mean, that, that was the, that, I kind of analyzed it. I'm like, why, do, why does she need to know? It has nothing to do with her. Because I wanted the pat on the back. I wanted some level of transaction. Let me get into this for a second. Did you know that generosity is so vitally important to our world that God has built into you chemical motivators towards generosity? See, when you do something generous, your body releases something called oxytocin. And it's the, it's the chemical in your body that causes um, bonding, and it also is the chemical that releases this concept of being able to trust people. It's a good feeling. It's called the love hormone. It's the, it's the hormone that's released between a husband and a wife. I'm sanitizing that for the younger audience. You know what I'm saying? But the idea is it's a connecting thing. It's so important that our bodies are given the incentive to do generous things. God has wired that into us by giving us a, a little shot of chemical stimulant or chemical feeling of euphoria. That's how important it is. In fact, generosity is so important that civilization will break down if generosity is not used, is not, is not part of the culture. If everybody's about themselves and nobody's about the community and no one connects, the civilization can't work. So God knew this. He knew that we needed this connective tissue of civilization, this connective tissue of generosity, this connective tissue of community. So he wired into you a little shot of chemical feel-good when you do something kind. That's why everybody's in such a good mood this morning. You all handed in your Christmas tree boxes, Christmas child boxes. Everybody's like, oh, a little high on oxytocin today. It's interesting, though. It's so vitally important. See, this is the difference between making gods in our own image or internalizing the nature of God in our own lives. When we make gods in our own image, we put our selfishness, we put our, our, our transactional bend onto those gods instead of taking the God of the universe who is internally and uh, intrinsically generous in adopting that posture. But let me just make it real for a second. So often I think we worship God, the one true God, in pagan ways. Assuming God is selfish and transactional like we are. We treat him like a genie in a bottle, that is there to give us what we need as long as we just rub the lamp right. 
this is not our God. This is not our God. We are worshiping, if we do that, we're worshiping our God in a pagan way. Remember, his generosity is the overflow of his love and goodness, motivating him to give. So as we bring this to a close, what is the overflow of your heart? Do you worship God because he's God or because you want something from him? That's a tough, I'll tell you, but if you sit with that question, it'll melt your brain. Because I think we do this pagan thing with God, this transactional thing with God. And we don't even do it on purpose. It's just kind of, you know, works-based, transactional view of how we deal with the supernatural. Do you worship God because he's God or because you want something out of him? Are you generous because it's the right thing to do and it models the heart of God? Or is it out of selfish ambition? Now, that selfish ambition sounds really negative. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to equate that to, it could be really selfish ambition, or it could be just, I need to tell Lisa because I want, I want that feel good of a pat in the back. Right? It's still selfish ambition, whether it's this huge thing or it's just a little thing. Our acts of kindness done, our acts of kindness done in a transactional way. It's a good question for all of us. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 16, And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Well, it sounds like he's been reading some Dr. Seuss too. But... You get the idea here, right? If we remain in God, he remains in what come With the overflow of who God is that causes him to be generous becomes the overflow of who we are causing us to be generous, right? In this, love is made complete with us so that we may, be, uh, may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world, right? That's the goal. As he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So, the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. That's why, so you're saying, Pastor, can only Christians be generous? No, actually, that's not, that's not true because, I mean, even, even the concept of um, dopamine, uh, I'm sorry, not dopamine, but oxytocin hits would make somebody who is not a Christian generous out of that feeling. Um, but what I'm talking about is the motives behind why we give, why we are generous, why we are, are philanthropic, why we do these things. Why? Because It's not because we get an uh, oxytocin hit. It's not because it's a transaction that's going to make us look good. It's because we were first loved. No other reason. We love because we've been loved. We love and we act, the overflow of our hearts is what God has put into us. Just like he is generous, we become more like Christ. That's the goal. If we look at the nature of God and the example of Christ, we know what true 
love is. And begin to discover the joy of extravagant generosity. Let me read that one more time as we close. If we look at the nature of God and the example of Christ, we will know what true love is and begin to discover the joy, the joy of extravagant generosity. How can generosity become a joy? Because it doesn't matter what they do with it. The joy is in being more like Christ, is coming out of the overflow. You know, if you're generous to somebody and they don't thank you, oh, that was not worth it. I'm not forgiving that person again. What, because I didn't get the transaction that I wanted. I wanted them to say, thank you, you're so awesome, David. I, I wish I knew you earlier in life. I could sit in the shade of your glory. That's what I want. But I didn't get it. So that doesn't, there's no joy in it then, right? But the joy, when we, when we learn what love is through God, we start to discover that true generosity is actually joy overflowing to other people. Lord, thank you for this time we had this morning to, to delve in and discover what generosity could look like. How we, as a people, could start this month and make this the greatest month of generosity ever. Whatever that looks like. God, help us understand that true generosity is not always reaching to our wallets. True generosity is an overflow of who we are as we grow closer and closer to you. And yes, sometimes it may mean helping someone. If you see your brother in need and you don't help him, is there really that love there? I don't know. I don't think so. So maybe it does mean a financial thing, but maybe it just means walking a woman's, an older lady's grocery cart back to the grocery cart corral. I don't know. Maybe it's taking a friend's child for a night so that my friend can go out with his wife for dinner. I don't know. Lord, help us to discover and find the joy in discovering ways in which we in our lives can be a generous people because we know that true generosity which comes from the overflow of our hearts points people to you. Thank you, Jesus. Help us. Grow us more like you every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. Be generous and I don't want to hear about it. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.